0: Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what He wants to do in your life.
1: Well, good morning. Thank you for having me this morning. It's a pleasure to get to be here with you guys. I'm, I'm grateful uh, to get to serve in, in the form of teaching this morning. Uh, as Josh said, my name is Andrew and uh, I'm a fellow Northland res- resident. I live just down Carl Road uh, off, off, Ju- off Norma on Julie Place. I live there with my wife and my two kids uh, who are young, three and one. And as Josh said, I'm a member at Sanctuary Columbus Church, which is a little bit further down Morse Road. Um, on Westerville Road, and so, uh, yeah, I worked with Young Life, and that's how I first was connected with Carl Road. Uh, over a decade ago, over a decade ago, I was connected with Amy Worley, and she was the first face I saw when I walked in this morning. So that was really fun to get to see you, Amy. I don't know where you, Amy, where are you? Where are, you? are you in here? Or she was she was with the kids. Okay, so that's okay, that's all good. But I saw Amy and. Uh, We uh, were grateful to have Carl Rowe be a host for Young Life Club. We would have uh, students from Northland, Beechcroft, and Centennial meet here uh, for Young Life Club in the upstairs room, and y'all were gracious to us because we broke a lot of things. So thanks for having me back, Let me back in the room uh, after such a long time, but it's really good to be here uh, with you today. So I think most of us uh, have maybe heard the term or the phrase, uh, less is more. Uh, And oftentimes we we use that phrase, less is more, uh, in a way of wisdom for engaging in conversation, right? You don't want to say too much. You don't want to talk too much. Just say what you need to say, right? Nowadays, it's a principle that's really common and really popularly used in architecture, interior design, right? What's really popular right now is having sleek, open spaces, you know, uh, going along with the minimalism movement, you know, having things be really nice and clean, very few things uh, in, in your house or in, or in an office space, so on and so forth. And for me, being the dad of two young kids, I'm kind of into it because I'm just tired of toys taking over every space. Uh, so I really am like, yeah, let's, let's do this whole less is more thing because I'm tired of tripping over Legos as I come downstairs. Um, But, you know, I guess it's just par for the course. But um, this practical wisdom uh, of less is more, uh, whether it's in conversation or whether it's in design, um, I think it points to a couple of values that I think we like to hold on to, uh, or that's what it communicates. And uh, two of these values are simplicity and authenticity, so when we're able to communicate things uh, of importance in a clear and concise way, we, we demonstrate a deep understanding of what we're talking about. We, we communicate that we have a mastery over the subject matter. And now I know that when I say that at the beginning of a sermon, you know, that it's important to be clear and concise, y'all are going to look at your watches like, okay, Andrew, uh, you're on the clock now. You set yourself up for that one. But I think when uh, being a part of Young Life and other people, you get trained on this. If you're in business or in sales or you, you know, you're uh, making pitches to people about what you do, they call it the elevator pitch, right? Tell, tell me everything that you, you do. Tell me why I should help you. Tell me why I should join your cause in 30 seconds or less, right? And so when we can do that, we, t- we, we communicate simply but clearly and concisely. We, we communicate having a deep understanding less is more. But I also think it's not just simplicity that we value in that, it's authenticity. I think when we are comfortable in who we are, when we're comfortable in the ways that we contribute to the people around us, uh, we can live out of a place of less is more. We get to be our more authentic self. We don't feel the need to posture. We don't need to feel the need to embellish. We don't feel the need to go on and on and on about who we are, our accomplishments, or what we can do Um, or or, or all of our credentials, um, or we get to, instead of adding more about ourselves, uh, we can be more authentic. We don't have to keep building up ourselves to those around us. We can be more authentic. And so these principles of less is more, these values of simplicity and authenticity, are these principles true when it comes to our faith and our pursuit of righteousness? And holiness? How could the wisdom of less is more play a part in our sanctification process? To answer those questions, we're going to be continuing on in the, in the gospel of Mark, and we're going to be gaining insight from the conversation that, that Josh read to us earlier. And so let me pray, and then I'll, I'll reread a part of our text to us. Jesus, we just thank you for this opportunity to be together God, we pray that you uh, would speak to us through your word. We know it's living and active. And so, God, we pray that we would have open hearts to receive what you have for us in the Spirit. God, speak uh, through me and in me, Lord, but let all the words that uh, I say be of you and not of myself. Uh, We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's refresh ourselves on, on the interaction. It says this, verses one through five. One day, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of washing hands before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony. So being in the, the stage of life that I'm in and you know, trying to teach our kids you know, valuable uh, life skills and lessons, one of those valuable life skills and lessons is the importance of washing your hands, right? Uh, I'm in right now, I don't know why, but my son loves bypassing that important step after going potty, right? He's, I guess he's so excited, he goes potty, and we're like, Did you wash your hands? And it's just like a, a pause, and you're like, Go back and wash your hands, right? Um, he's in the habit now of like, he wants us to smell his hands afterwards to prove that he washed his hands. We're like, Great, good job. So we try to encourage him, um, you know, it's, it's important to have clean hands. It's important to wash your hands after you go potty. It's important not to spread your germs or dirt to other people around the house. And so as I read this interaction, I, I, I look at this and I'm on face value. I'm like, Hey, the Pharisees kind of got a point here, Jesus. Why didn't you wash your hands before you started eating? That's kind of gross, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you, uh, what, you don't want to have clean hands before you eat? But the thing is here, as we look at this conversation, they don't pose this question to Jesus uh, as if they're questioning uh, his personal health or his personal hygiene. The questions they're asking Jesus is that they're rather challenging their level of holiness. And so the Pharisees, you know, we often give them a bad rep. We can forget uh, that even though they were wrong in pretty much every interaction we have recorded in the scriptures with Jesus, Um, we forget that they were operating out of a well-intended motive. They were trying to please God by being uh, holy and righteous. And now, obviously, as I say that, you know, good intentions, being well-intended, doesn't make up for or excuse harmful action. But I say it to foster a little bit of level of compassion and humility for them as we interact with them in Scripture. You see, compassion for them as people— They're trying to figure out what does it look like to honor God with their lives. They're on that journey, and we're on that journey with them. And a little bit of humility in the fact of recognizing that we are all capable of doing the very thing that they often did, having good motives, having good intentions, but ending up hurting people, and even worse, potentially driving people away from God unintentionally. And so you see what the Pharisees were doing here with their traditions and their rules that they had that they carried out, some scholars would call this practice hedging. And so what the Pharisees would do is that they would take an Old Testament law and then they would think of ways of how do we help make sure people don't even come close to breaking this law. And so they would build on the law and they would create more traditions around it, building a hedge around the law helping to make sure that people didn't break the law. And so essentially, their mindset was more is more. The more we build on the law, the more we kind of build around the law, the more we have traditions to protect the law, the more holy and righteous we'll be, the less likely we are to break the law. And so they built these traditions out of this practice of hedging. There's other instances where we see Jesus have interactions with the Pharisees around this idea of following their traditions uh, more so than following the commands of, of God. We see this uh, multiple times on, on interactions with, on the Sabbath day, right? So one time Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road and the disciples pick some grain as they're, they're walking and the Pharisees see this and they say, hold up, time out, Jesus. Your, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. They're working by plucking these, this grain on the, on the road. Or when Jesus would heal someone on the Sabbath, instead of rejoicing with the person rejoicing who's been healed, the hand that grew back strong, the person who picked up their mat and walked and left the pool, instead of rejoicing, the Pharisees would say, you can't do that. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus would respond with, well, the Sabbath was Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Or isn't it good to do good and heal on the Sabbath? Isn't it lawful to do good and heal on the Sabbath? And so you see the Pharisees weren't attacking Jesus for breaking commands of Scripture. They were attacking Jesus and his disciples for breaking their own traditions they had built around the commands. And here in this passage, we see a very similar thing taking place. We see here, verse five, it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked him, hey, why don't your disciples follow our age old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony. And so they have developed these extra biblical laws, these extra biblical rules, these traditions on top of, um, and they've not only had these laws, but they held them to the same value they held them to the same level of adherence as the law of Moses. And so when they saw Jesus not following the, the tradition, they were very upset. So what, what is Jesus' response to this? Let's see what he says in verses 6 through 8. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. You see, Jesus hears their question and he pulls no punches. I mean, we get Jesus starting out with saying, you hypocrites, yeah, uh, something, something, something's big going, is going down. He starts off calling them out right away, and he's calling them out because he's saying, hey, you are claiming to be, that you're, you're, you're all about honoring God, but you're blind to seeing how your additions, your traditions are actually keeping you from doing the very thing you want to do, which is honor God. You see, Isaiah 29 is where Jesus is quoting here. And when we look at Isaiah 29 in this passage, uh, the prophet Isaiah is, is calling out the religious leaders for being spiritually blind. Spiritually blind because they were unaware and unable to see what God was doing in their midst. And so a major problem of this more is more attitude is of when you uphold traditions above the commands. It, it focuses our attention away from what God is doing and puts all of our attention on ourselves. It puts our attention on our performance. It puts our attention on our uh, capabilities and our capacities to follow the law. It takes our focus away from Jesus and His perfect fulfillment of the law on our behalf. You see, the Pharisees regularly misinterpreted Jesus's actions they would often see Jesus and what he taught and what he did as a failure to live out the law of Moses. But Jesus clearly stated in the Sermon on the Mount, when you look at uh, Matthew 5, 17, he says to them, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings or the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. You see their narrow, culturally influenced interpretation of what honoring God looks like blinded them from seeing how Jesus was in fact the perfect embodiment of what it looks like to follow and live out God's law with a bend towards loving God and loving people. They were blinded to, by, and could not see that Jesus was the perfect embodiment, as John put it in John 1. He is grace and truth all in one, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the very thing that they were looking for and hoping for. They were blind to this in his life, his miracles, his teachings. They were blind to this and how his, d- his death fulfilled the law and the prophets. And they were blind the necessity and the veracity of His resurrection. This is why Jesus said of the Pharisees, because of this attitude. In John nine, in John nine, Jesus heals a man born blind, and he's, at the end He's speaking to the man who He's healed, it's, and Jesus says, "This I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind." Some of the Pharisees who were standing by near him heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim to see. And so for us, the question is, how can we potentially become blind when we uphold our own traditions above the call to love God and people? above the commands. I think three ways we can become blind because of this more is more attitude or mentality is this. Uh, First, we begin to work for our salvation instead of working from our salvation. Inevitably, if we start to add to the work of Jesus, we end up taking away from it. This is indeed subtraction through addition the hedges that we start to build in order to perform well, in order to prove ourselves before God, they end up becoming gates, gates that keep us from experiencing the transforming grace of God made available to us in Christ. We become blind to the work of Jesus on our behalf. I think secondly, uh, the way this uh, mentality can, can, can uh, make us blind is we start to separate ourselves from fellow believers as you know, being here in a Baptist church, and I grew up in a Baptist church, so it's good to be home. Um, at, but as products of the Reformation, those of us in Protestant circles think we might be might have solved the problem of having traditions, you know, influence or or affect our, our worship or our following of God. But the truth is, this um, we still at times can allow tradition to divide us. We we might. It might look like judging others or looking down on our fellow believers who think or act differently than us based on their worship styles or their views on baptism or how the gifts of the Spirit are or are not represented or experienced in the church. It might be something of a difference where we uh, think less of other believers because. They do communion one way with actual wine and a loaf of bread, and we do the little cup that you inevitably tear and it breaks and you spill it, and it's really hard. And I always feel really embarrassed when I don't take communion because I couldn't get the cup open. Um, but we find those little things, those traditions, those things that aren't maybe explicit in Scripture, but it's our our idea of what we think is best. And we maybe look at our fellow believers who do things a little differently than us, and we look down on them or we judge them for their differences. And so we place a hedge or a gate between us and our fellow believers from different denominations and other local church bodies. We become blind to other members of the body of Christ that we have been been called to be a part of and build up together in love. And then, thirdly, I think we can become blind to which values are biblical and which values are cultural in our highly partisan political environment, you know, widening wealth gap, our, our post-COVID social environment, trust of other people, uh, discourse. These things are, are rare, and it seems like they're, they're fleeting, right? And so in this environment, we can be tempted to fall into an us-versus-them mindset. We can uh, believe that if people maybe don't think or, or, or act just like us, if, if people don't have everything in common with us, we can't be in healthy or, or deep, robust relationship with them. And so we're taught to look at other people, or our culture forming us to look at other people and say, well, unless, unless we check all the same boxes ideologically, unless we think the same, we can't be in relationship. I can't be in relationship with you. And unfortunately, this is impacting the way uh, our Christianity. It's impacting our relationships even within the body of Christ. When we elevate our preferences and ideologies that have been shaped by maybe political or cultural affiliations to the same level as Scripture, and then take the Christian card away from our fellow brother or sister in Christ who maybe thinks or, or maybe acts a little different or has different opinions or votes differently than us, we become blind to the fact that uh, we are playing right into the devil's schemes who wants to divide the church at every way possible and we play right into his games. So where has the more is more mindset created a blindness in you? Where have we embraced traditions over what, the, what God is calling us to, to be, who God is calling us to be and what he's calling us to do? Jesus continues in his rebuke of the Pharisees. He says this, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your mother and father. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Jesus doesn't stop, but he calls out another common practice that the Pharisees were doing and teaching others to do. Essentially, it's this practice of giving an extra tithe to the, to the synagogue called Corban. Um, and that was money that you gave on top of your typical tithe, but it was money that you would have instead given to your, uh, your parents who were in need. So if your parents, you know, we're getting to the age, there's obviously there's an agrarian society, lots of work, physical labor, work with your hands. And so there would be a time where parents would often need to be taken care of by their children. And the Pharisees made it okay for you to, instead of giving that money to your parents who are in need, it's, it's just as good if you give it to the synagogue. And so Jesus uh, is saying to them, you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition because Jesus is saying in giving people the opportunity and teaching people that it's good or even better to give to the synagogue even more than take care of your parents, you're working against what God has already put, put in front of us to honor our, our mother and father. So Jesus wasn't impressed by this you know, additional giving, this additional church participation beyond the expectation if it wasn't matched and exceeded by their love that they were displaying to their family and those around them. He essentially is asking what good is giving above and beyond to the synagogue if you aren't loving and honoring your mother and father? For us, the question may more be, you know, what good is ramping up our church participation if it doesn't aid in our ability to love our neighbor? After all, love is at the core and root of all the commands and the commands supersede our traditions. Jesus, in talking about this, later on in the Gospel of Mark, he says this in Mark 12, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. You see, the thrust of the Christian life is not following traditions and commands, but allowing the one, Jesus, who fulfilled the commands on our behalf to transform us into people marked by love of both God and others, God and our neighbor. And so to close, how do we practically center our lives, not on traditions, but the command to love God and neighbor. Three things. First, I would say is this. We have to identify and repent from, with identify and repent from the places we have put our traditions and values above God's word. We have to identify and repent from the places we have put our traditions and values above God's word. I think a really practical way to do this is to leverage the prayer in Psalm 139, where David's praying. And at the end of that Psalm, he says, God, search me and know me and reveal to me if there's any way in me, that's like a grievous way in me. Essentially, he's inviting God to reveal to him, where where have I, where have I gone astray? Where have I misplaced my heart and my mind and I think he, that's a prayer for us to just sit with the Lord in the presence of God and say, God, search me. Where have I put my traditions, my values, the cultural values of this world above you and your word? Would you, would you reveal that to me? And when he reveals it, having the courage to repent of those things, to turn those things back to God. Secondly, I think we have to continue, cultivate spiritual practices that remind us of grace. This could be daily times of prayer. This could be daily, scripture, uh, daily times in the scripture and re- reflecting on the gospel as you're reading through the gospel and as you're doing uh, sermons on, uh, on the book of Mark, just committing to, I'm gonna read that passage every day that week and just see how if I reflect on that, how I get to see the beauty of who Jesus is, how that reminds me of his love for me and the, the grace that I have received from him and obviously being a part of community, cultivating spiritual practices that remind us of grace and love. And then finally, I would say taking one step, just taking one step, one action step towards loving your neighbor. Maybe it could be this week, walking around your neighborhood, driving around your neighborhood and just praying for your neighborhood, cultivating that love for your neighbor. It could be inviting a neighbor over to your house for a meal, uh, this week, or it could be creating a fund to give to help support uh, houseless individuals or those who are in need. Whatever it may be, thinking of one action step to put us in a place of loving our neighbor practically.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a -A K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.